0: October the 22nd today, I am a little bit under the weather, for those of you on the internet, uh, uh, it snowed here the other day, what, we get about two or three inches and it was very cold, it's supposed to warm up again this weekend, so it'll get all the way to 39, I think, but now as winter is upon us and that means the, the dread of dark coldness starts, uh, November, December, January, February, those are the tough months to live up here but and we're entering those so october 22nd 2017 lecture discover, uh, discussion now, i i left it blank all the way until i finished it because i thought i might make it i was really hopeful um but i didn't make it i have so much material here i know i'm not going to get through it it's Probably 8,000 words, and I always add more words. So, so many pages. It's going to be hopeless. It's going to be brutal. But we're going to try it. So, I'm going to just get to it today. Might be a little bit rushed. Hopefully not. The plan is to get close. And you can see, I think I'm close. And I hope that I can finish it next week. And that's what I intend to do. As I read this, of course, during the song portion of the service, I write notes to what I have to do next week. And there's a lot more than I think. So we'll see. But that's the plan. Uh, But uh, I'll get finished. or It'll be close. Either way, it'll work. And once again, life is better. Your life is better with lowered expectations. That is just a good thing to know. All right, I want to start at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, and again, I apologize for the voice and the lack of energy, but we'll fight through it. I want to get to Ecclesiastes 7.26 through 8.1 today. Uh, some would stop at 29, but I'll actually probably go all the way to chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, the chapter markings, the verse markings are not necessarily inspired. But this is where, in Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit leads Solomon to write something that not only is the foundation of the book of Romans, uh, let me put all of that there. We have Romans. The foundation of Romans is a few passages, as you might know. Romans 23 23 through 24. Uh, Romans 6, primarily. 23. Romans one seventeen, 17. Romans three ten. Those are the passages that are generally uh, agreed upon to be that which forms the underpinnings of the book of Romans. Well, I will say to you, no, what does that actually, and I'll explain it here as we go there, I'll repeat it even, And that is actually uh, Ecclesiastes 7. But here's Romans uh, 3.23, for example, and you know these verses, this is how we pretty much began Romans, right? And I'm trying to bring it back and end it as we have begun it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the emphasis on all. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. 310. There is none righteous, no not one. 311. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. 313. There is none that does good, uh, who does good. There, no not one. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Romans six twenty three to finish that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now Ecclesiastes seven hundred twenty six through twenty nine without dispute references these great truths of Romans. Actually to be more so precise, the aforementioned verses of Romans are actually expressing Ecclesiastes seven twenty through eight one. Let me read to you 720. Oh, I don't have to. I wrote it down. Ecclesiastes 720 says this. Me, it might sound familiar to you. Hopefully it does. For there is not, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Well, there you're, there's your Romans, right? <sighs> that Romans and Ecclesiastes, it's obvious that Romans is built upon Ecclesiastes 7, more specifically 720 one. The world isn't like that. The world can't stand the truth of Romans or Ecclesiastes 7.20. The world wants man to be accepted with all of his evil intact and the ability to continue his evil. God is not going to do that. And the first thing that he does is explain that no one on earth has uh, escaped sin. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. That is a fundamental, foundational Truth of Scripture. Now, having established that, we are left to fully understand how it is that Solomon concludes his premise. The Book of Ecclesiastes has an introduction, has a thesis, if you will, and has a conclusion to it. It's just uh, um, it is consistent writing um, in the Hebrew style, and that, of course, is Ecclesiastes 12:13 through 14. But we're not. We won't get to that today. I wish I, I got. I would, and I wish it would be finished today, but it will not be. We have just a short distance to go. But for today, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 7:26 through 8:1. And I bring this up today because 7:26 through 8, 1 of Ecclesiastes, besides Romans 3 and Romans 6, has also ever so subtly, and at 1 Timothy uh, 2, 13 through 15, and I could go all the way to 2, 8 through 15. I could back up to 8. And for those of you who recognize that, uh, you know that that is where we talk about Adam and Eve, which also means that Genesis 3 is on the table. So I'm saying to you that Ecclesiastes will get you here and here. And if you get to Genesis 3, then where else do you go? Well, you get to Judges 13 through 16. You're at Samson. So, let's refresh a little bit here, the issue, more or less, and let's go to Ecclesiastes. Um, The wisdom of Solomon is astonishing. We did this about 20 years ago, I think, maybe 15. I can't remember anymore because I have lost all ability to remember. And it'll just get worse. It's fascinating to me. I go into the. I I had to put the other, the really old Bible that was duct taped together out of service because it kept falling apart. So I, I'm reading this one, and every time I do, I I make a notation. And then the other day, as I'm often do, I'll go to the first one and open it up to see if I had understood what I now knew. And, of course, I wrote everything, almost word for word, the same 20 years ago that I thought was brand new this week. That's not good news. I need a bigger bottle of Worcestershire sauce to get through the last 20 years, I'm sure. Hopefully, I don't have to. I'm counting on the wheat harvest. That's Cinco de Stevo. Okay, let's read this, 7:26. Now, this is in the context of 720, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. I'm skipping some verses, but that is what sets up this verse, 726. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, which, of course, are, um, if you will, that's bindings, leg irons. He who pleases God shall escape from her. Let me repeat it. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her. So we've now start this. Pleases God. Whoops. My pen fell apart. But the sinner shall be trapped. So if you please God, you escape. And if you sin, if you're a sinner, wait a minute, I thought everybody was a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. The sinner is trapped. So somehow a sinner escapes. But a sinner is trapped. So I have how many sinners? All of them. Some sinners escape. Some sinners are trapped. What's the difference? Now, the next verse, you might in your Bible have the word here, And that's such a disservice. Is that what you have, Becky? This is where uh, the old King James prevails again. Because the old King James has the correct word. What do you suppose it is missing? Behold. Absolutely right. Behold. It's so important. So you have to write it in there. I would scream, but I'm not feeling well. Behold, is what I have found, said the preacher. The preacher is Solomon. That's what he calls himself. Adding one thing to the other to find out the reason. How smart is Solomon? Really smart. Post-flood, the most intelligent man that has ever lived. Which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, it is very common for people, especially husbands, to say, See, there are not not a single woman. They're all bad. Not a woman Solomon, the smartest guy post flood ever lived, couldn't find a woman that was worth anything. There it is, absolute proof. Now you think that's funny, but you haven't gone to the churches I've gone to. Mm hmm. They this this is a ball bat. They go around and they hit women over the head with this because they are what? Huh? Well they're they're not they're not wise in understanding Scripture. Let me put it that way. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, okay, Ecclesiastes seven twenty six through eight one is within the context to repeat, under the umbrella of wisdom strengthens the wise. There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So we know everybody's a sinner, but some sinners are trapped and some sinners escape. So what is the difference again between center A and center B, escaping center and trapped center? It is here at Ecclesiastes 7.20 that we begin the process of reasoning through the meanings of 26 through 81. And separating 726 through 8.1 from Solomon's purpose, what he's trying to teach us, what he's trying to say to us, to the Holy Spirit using Solomon, his fundamental thesis, if you will, is to derail any all or all opportunity to reach accuracy. In other words, the final determinations of what he means will have serious defective flaws in the in your conclusions if you don't know, for there is not. A just man on earth who does good and does not sin. If you don't start there, you're going to end up devoid of legitimacy with regard to your understanding of what he means in 26 through 8:1, 7:26 through 8:1. So let's start this a little bit. What's a just man? There is not a just man on earth. Just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Define just man. What does he mean? Earth is a location, is it not? What other locations are there? What other beings are there besides man? There is not a just man on earth. Is there a just angel on earth? What's going on? What other beings are there? Where are they? And I should remind everyone that the Hebrew word for man in this sentence, of course, is either this or it's this. In other words, it is the general meaning of mankind or it is specific to a person. It is specifically referencing Adam the person, or it is for all of mankind. And something that we need to always acknowledge as we search for Genesis 3. Remember, the plan is to look for Genesis 3 after you find Christ in Scripture. Uh, If it is specifically mentioning Adam, then we need to know that, because that sends us to Genesis 3. And any passages that have a man and a woman side by side, which of course is 1 Timothy 2, 13-15. Now, notice that he repeats the same thing over and over again. I find, I have found, I cannot find, I have found, I have not found, I have found. says it repeatedly. Why does he do that? It's oft-repeated. Why? Because he thinks something about us, doesn't he? We need to have it repeated. Why would Solomon, guided by the Spirit of God, make it obvious and plain that he, Solomon, has found something and not found something? Something that he has found and something that he has not found. And notice that it is not something that we have found. And it isn't we found. He doesn't say all of us have found it. He has said I have found it. We. He doesn't say we have not found it. We're excluded. It is intended to be reflective of Solomon's experiences, Solomon's investigation. It's intended to denote Solomon's perspective, and therefore it is confined to Solomon. Those who make it universal, who make it generally applicable, they introduce the problematic. Now, I know all Scripture is applicable. I'm not trying to say it isn't. But it's applicable when you understand what it means. And what it means is that Solomon has found something here. We didn't find it, he found it. We didn't search for it, he searched for it. And we may agree and validate and extend to us Solomon's conclusionary observations. But first, we need to ask some fundamental questions. For example, where did Solomon find the woman whose heart is snares and nets? And why was he looking for her? Because he found her. Who is she? Who else has found this woman? Well, somebody else has found this woman. Who do you think? Do you have any idea who it is? I hope you do. I think it's profoundly the most important verses for the church today in the Bible. It's uh, Ezekiel 13. Woe to the foolish prophets. We learn something in Ezekiel 13. There are foolish prophets we learn they say foolish things and they do they absolutely say exactly what it says they're going to say it's amazing but i'll start at ezekiel 13:18 instead of ezekiel 13:3 woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of people of every height to hunt souls will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive This is what God says to them. And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic charms by which you hunt souls there like birds. I will tear them from your arms and let the souls go, the souls you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hands, hand, and they shall no longer be as prey in your hand, then you shall know I am the Lord, because with lies you have made the hearts of the righteous sad. Who are the righteous? Notice that they're still righteous, even though they're sad. Whom I have not made sad, and you have strengthened the hand of the wicked, so that he does not turn from his wicked way to save his life. Therefore you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have been in at least a hundred churches where I watched that verse before my eyes. People standing up there saying, Thus says the Lord, and I have not spoken. That's what he says. 13.7 Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you. Solomon found a woman who does that. He found the woman who hunts souls. So have I. I found them. They're everywhere. And some of you have already begun placing together Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 18 through 21. Actually, I went all the way to 22, I think. Ecclesiastes 7:26. And you took them to 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. Because if I'm going to talk about a woman that's hunting souls, I've got to talk about who hunted her soul. And then what other soul did she hunt? What was her intention, right? And that's where, of course, Adam the person is declared to be in Scripture the most incredible thing, not deceived. And it could easily be asserted that Adam escaped this trap. As did Eve, she escaped also. The snare of Satan, therefore, I'm sorry, the snare of Satan failed on both of them. Therefore, the first to escape is Adam, though he was crippled. He was, he was, uh, he missed, a, uh, he got beat up pretty bad here, but he escaped. How did he escape? Who would have escaped that? That's the one thing that I've often looked at. If I were in Adam's position, would I have been Wise enough to escape that trap of Satan. And the answer is, clearly, no. I wouldn't have made it. Adam was not deceived. He escaped the trap. Because he did, so did Eve. And Satan was certainly hunting souls. Just as at Ezekiel 28.16, at Genesis 3. I have the hunting of souls, and it is Satan's convention that he adheres to his lie, that he knows a lie. And hunting souls is the effect, or the means, if you will. The lie is the cause. Anyway, Solomon has found a woman who is evil, who hunts. And one thing you need to know is there are predators in the church. And all you have to do is find out, if they're predators, is is determine how much understanding they have of the Bible. How much Christ is in their doctrine? If it is Christless, you are in a predatory church. You are still righteous, which means what? You're still saved, but you're trapped. Solomon has found a woman who's evil, who hunts souls. He also found or searched for he who pleases God, because he who pleases God shall escape But the sinner shall be trapped. The inferences is that the sinner will perish in the snare. Again, what is the difference exactly? And remember the context. For there is not a just man on earth who does not sin. But the one who God finds to be pleasing, the literal is a man who pleases God, is pleasing to God. This is the man, this is the Adam who escapes both generally and specifically verse twenty eight upright I have truly God has made man upright it also literally is pleasing to God man has made that man has made or I'm sorry that God has made a man who pleases God that God made Adam pleasing to God both generally and specifically so where am I Solomon has launched an investigation. Solomon is searching. He's conducting an assessment, a statistical evaluation, a statistical awareness. He's trying to find certain kinds of people. Where is he looking? Because that's the context. Where are these women? Where are these men? He's attempting to verify the several discoveries that he has observed. He's putting together his accumulated evidences, counting one by one, adding and comparing. And Solomon reached a finding, though he had to keep searching. And there's where that behold is again. Behold. Here's what I found. The behold should provide you the answer immediately. To Solomon's search. When you see a behold in scripture, what do you think is coming? What's the subject? Behold, a great truth follows. A great truth is about to be revealed. What is almost always the great truth? Let me keep going. Solomon is seeking this great truth with all of his soul, but he can't find it yet. But he still searches. He's doing John 5.39. This is we're supposed to do. And that truth is going to be, especially in this case, that one man is declared found good. But God is the one that makes all men good. So who is the one man? The one man that is called good. Somebody is called good. Who is he? Well, where's the New Testament compliment? Let me get it to you exactly here. Matthew 19. Now behold, one came and said to Christ, Good teacher, he said. That's Genesis 1-3 because the light of life is good, right? Now behold, one came and said to Christ, Good teacher, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And does Christ answer the question? Here's what Christ says. So, Christ said to him, Why do you call me good? How do you know that I am good? Because if you call me good, that is a significant statement. Solomon searched for good men, found none. No one is good but one that is God, is what Christ says. And so Solomon is searching for who when he is searching for the good man? He's searching for Christ. How many good men are there? One. What's the rest of us? Sinners. That must be made good, must be made pleasing. There's one who is good. Who has begun as good. Who is before time as good. He doesn't answer, Christ doesn't, the, the question, what may? What shall I do? Because it isn't what you shall do that makes you good. What is it that makes you pleasing to God? And Solomon, therefore, has solved the mystery of, or had solved the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. In other words it is something that is incredibly difficult to understand the mystery of godliness it is a it is the greatest of all the mysteries the mystery is is that god would come the god would add humanity the word would become flesh and the one man would be god but a woman was not found what did I just tell the Catholic Church? Yeah, there is no co-redemptrix. There is no perfect. Interesting how God may have anticipated the the deity of the Virgin Mary. Would we like to now talk about somatic cells and germ cell plasm? Would we like to do that? No. The answer is no. Always is no. A woman not found. First Timothy two eight through fifteen. See here, I have a man and a woman again. I'm, I'm side by side. The man Adam, and the woman Adam and the woman. See, the specific or is general, or it is both. Whenever I see the word Adam, I wonder if it is specific. Most of the time, it is. Now, in concert with all of this, the mystery of godliness is this woman whose. In concert with this mystery of godliness is also this woman whose heart is snares and nets. and and also as well, there is not a just man on earth. And truly, Solomon says, he has determined Solomon has found that only God can make mankind pleasing. So the making of someone pleasing the pleasing process, For lack of a better way of explaining it, the pleasing system is only something that God can do. Men and women are in sin, none are righteous, no not one, and God must make them upright or pleasing to him. It is also obvious that the woman among all these, there is your key to the whole thing when you're talking about the women in this subject, is that Solomon went and looked at all of these That the woman among all these... He couldn't find a woman among all these. What is the all these in the context of Solomon? Where would Solomon be looking? What group of women would he have? He has 1,000 women. He has 700 concubines and he has 300 wives. Do you think the 1,000 is a coincidence? He says... One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these thousand women that I have, I have not found. And those 700 concubines and 300 wives, um, the evidence is is that they were essentially untouched by Solomon, except in this circumstance. We have no record of Solomon producing children from any of those 300 wives. They were military and political assets. They are gifts given to Solomon in exchange for military and political and economic benefits. They came from foreign entities. They're treaty verification systems. So he has a thousand women. And he searched them. He decided, okay, I'm going to do inventory. I'm going to talk to every single one of them. How smart is this guy? He's incredible. Incredible. Solomon searches these 1,000 women, and he found none of them, not one pleasing to God. And that's predictable, because who are they? Where would they come from? Well, they're pagan. They're from pagan, Gentile, uncircumcised countries, if you want, mostly. And Solomon found inside these 1000 women those who sew charms and make veils and let me quickly note here of the bridal veil every wedding we have a bride that comes forward and she has a veil over her face and what does the the bridegroom do to the uh, bride when it is time to uh, announce the marriage ceremony has ended what does he what does he do he lifts the veil right Where else is a veil lifted? So the bride's face is revealed. It's hidden by the veil. And the bridegroom lifts the veil, reveals her face. What is the veil in Scripture? What's the most prominent veil? It's the veil in front of the Holy of Holies. It gets what? Torn to what? Reveal the Shekinah glory. Who gets to see the Shekinah glory once the veil to the Holy of Holies is torn? Everybody. That's a big deal, doctrinally but that's not the subject i just wanted to throw it in it seemed like a good place that remains to be seen i will concede that sometimes it's those little tiny things though i just say okay i'm going to put this in here and it's no one's going to care it's absolutely meaningless and i get 15 letters so it's now told me it's amazing what I say that I think that is going to be interesting and what actually is interesting. It's, it's never the same. I miss every time. Back to today's subject. Solomon found no shortage of women in his 1,000 who profaned the Lord God of creation, the I Am, the Ancient of Days? The hundred—I'm sorry—the one thousand women were saturated in profanity. They're killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live. He brought in a thousand women. He didn't bring them in; they're brought to him as gifts. He brought a thousand evil women into his mist, and he—he he had problems. What do you think those thousand women are doing? Those are probably and most likely women of high value in the societies they came from because they're gifts. I mean, if I could pick somebody to to please Solomon as a gift, I'm not going to pick Steve. Not going to happen. I'm going to go get somebody that's got some kind of status in that society. Now, that that status given to that person may not really be valuable to Solomon because it'd be like, Going to the mafia and saying, okay, give me five of your best guys. Well, you're going to get some brutal people. You're going to get the evil ones. Well, you got an evil country. They're going to bring you the most evil women they got. And now he's got a thousand of them. And he searches them. He knows they're evil. He finds them all to be the same. Killing those who should not die and keeping alive those who should not live. And Solomon, again, tested all 1,000. He found not one woman in all of these that pleased God. Not one. So there is your context. So whatever conclusion you draw from that, the one that says all women are evil is certainly not correct. But it's the most common. And once we find out that I have a bunch of women and none of them please God, there's our Judges 14.3 and Judges 14.7, is it not? Samson found a Philistine woman who talked to him. And what she said pleased Samson. Now, how do you please Samson? If you think that Samson is some kind of promiscuous nut, which most people will say, and he does visit a harlot, but there's no indication that this Philistine woman is a harlot. This is before the harlot. This is before Delilah. I won't won't deny that Samson visits a harlot because Israel is known for seeking after harlots. Interesting enough about Samson, he tears the gate off of the city. What happens to the harlot? She gets away. Where else do harlots get away? Who usually has the harlots? Who's in the harlot business in these cultures? The church is. The equivalent religious entity of, the, of its time. But I digress. Samson found a Philistine woman who talked to him and what she said pleased Samson. There's that word again. It's in both Places. That's how you get Ecclesiastes to judges. And let me form this another way. The Nazarene, Samson's a Nazarene, but I'll just put the word out there this way. The Nazarene comes down from the Father's house. Read the text. The one who is the vow of the Nazarite descends. The son descends, and finds not a woman in Israel. He finds not Israel. Pleasing him, he finds a Gentile bride who pleases him well. Again, what did this Philistine woman say to the Nazarite? What could be said to the Son, the only one who is good, who is God himself, what could be said to please God? How do you please God? What pleases God? What brings joy to God? And I think that's pretty obvious. I won't insult you by stating the obvious, because it would be the inverse of hunting souls, wouldn't it? Other obvious things. Samson loved this uncircumcised Gentile Philistine bride. He proves it. This is a love story. I have somebody in this church writing about Adam and Eve understanding that that also is a man that loves his fallen bride, right? Samson loves the fallen bride, and he proves his love. Uh, one, he brought that young goat, and we'll have to do that next week. That's evidence that he understands this relationship and what he believes of the relationship. But foremost, he saves her from death by fire. That's the riddle. That's the unsolvable. That is the... Mystery that no one can understand. That is what Solomon has not perfectly figured out, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. Samson has this riddle, and he saves her from death by fire, utilizing it. Before Samson, okay, before, before, and Samson is the Nazarite Savior of Israel, he's the deliverer of Israel, before He destroys the enemy by himself before he alone, with no one helping him, destroys the enemies of Israel. First thing he does is what? He saves that Gentile bride. And the Gentile bride pleases God. And that's why I ask you to note the order of that. Uh, Now, this is physics, and you're not going to like it, but it's Schrodinger's cat. I would do this today, but I want you to recognize that I'm going to make the case next week. Let's make sure it's on my list. It is. I have one bride in two states. She's in a living state and a dead state. And I'm going to look at her simultaneously. But I'm going to pay attention to the order. Who is this Gentile bride? Is she Israel? Is she the church? Is she both? Is she all three? How's that for a clue? Samson found one woman. Isn't that interesting? Solomon did not find one woman, but Samson did. And I find it interesting. Some might suggest coincidental but not me, never would I offer that there are coincidences in Scripture. But some do. They don't find the fact that Samson kills 1,000 men and Solomon having 1,000 women to investigate, they don't find that to be linked. In fact, Samson goes and kills 1,000 men. Samson investigates 1,000 women. Both of them find none that please God. is that interesting? At least it is to me. I submit the 1,000 and the 1,000 are the same 1,000. Eventually, that's what we'll get, but not today. To place a point of emphasis here on this particular aspect of it, Samson came to the Philistines and found a woman that was pleasing. Samson brings salvation by talking to her. Samson brings salvation to the Philistines, to the Gentiles. No one knew this mystery. No one knew that would happen. Here it is in the the book of Judges. No one of all of Israel figured this out until who? This is the mystery of Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. I get in trouble. Sometimes, this is the truth. Sometimes, the video is not ready by Sunday morning when Lori wants to watch it. So she is forced to listen to the CD because the people who do the CD apparently are more interested in Lori than the ones who do the videos. Apparently that's the case. And so without the video, she can't see the board. And when she can't see the board, she doesn't know. I go so fast over the references. Does she complain about it often? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> she'll be mad at me for revealing her but this is Ephesians 3 3-6 through 6. this is the third mystery of the eleven mysteries and it is given to the apostle Paul it's in the Old Testament but it is revealed to Paul it is unfound it is searched for they know there's a mystery but they have not been able to find it the union of Jews and Gentiles in the church the bride of Christ In the body of Christ, the grafting of the olive tree, the breaking off of some branches from the olive tree, not because the point was to supplant them, not because the point was to bring the Gentiles to be grafted in. No, the Gentiles are not to replace the Jews, but to be saved alongside the Jews. But some branches are broken off, not to make room. The olive tree is still there. But some branches are broken off. Why are the branches of the olive tree broken off? What is the reason the Bible gives us for the breaking off of the branches of the olive tree? Unbelief. Unbelief. What pleases God? God is pleased by belief. Now we're back here, aren't we? We are back there. I'm talking about women, I'm talking about belief and unbelief. God is pleased by belief. The woman, Genesis 3, did not believe God and therefore was deceived. You want to be deceived? Don't believe what God says. You'll be deceived every single time. The man, the Adam, the Adam actually, believed God and was not deceived. Both fell, though Adam, through, I'm sorry, through Adam came temporal physical death. Physical death is temporary, life is not temporary, death is temporary. That is a truth. Do you believe God? If you believe God, you won't be deceived. Through Adam came temporal physical death to everything. But Adam believed God. And then ultimately, Eve confesses and repents of her unbelief. And both are covered with blood. Both are given garments by God. Made by God. And so, the story is amazing. Probably best to uh, organize and reestablish the components now before I start shifting subjects. Samson finds a Philistine woman who pleases him well. She's a pagan. Samson does not find a Jewish woman of whom it can be said pleases him well. Parents even ask, can't you find a Jewish woman? No. This one pleases me. Solomon, though, cannot with his 1,000 women find one pleasing to God that were given to him for political expediencies. After questioning each one of them, he could not identify one of those who pleased God, or pleased Solomon even. And God is pleased by belief. So are you all with me? I hope we are all on the bus. Samson's Philistine bride-wife believed something, and Samson tells his his father to pay the price for the Philistine woman. Uh, it's going to seem like I'm interjecting this and it's out of context, but it's not. Interjected between Samson being pleased by the woman is this seemingly out of context event. It's the dismembering of the young roaring lion. So it says right here, 14.3, well, I've got to go fine, go back to Judges. Make sure I have this right because I am capable of not getting it right. Judges 14.3 Then the father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all the people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to the father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. And then they start to go down. And What happens is they're going down to get the bride. The son is going to go get the bride. He's going down. The father is going to pay the price, pay the price for the Philistine woman because she pleases me, and, and now we have this thing put in the middle of this because he's going to please him again in fourteen seven. But I've got now fourteen six and and I've got fourteen six to deal with. This dismembering of the young roaring lion, Samson with nothing in his hand. Judges fourteen six. He's got nothing, nothing in his hand. A lion leaps upon him and attacks Samson. Asks the obvious questions now. How big is a lion? What's the average size of a young adult male lion? 500 pounds? Could be 700 pounds depending on the genetics of that area. Lions have gotten really large in my lifetime. Some were extremely large. The lions of Savo fantastic story read the real real account don't watch the movie please stop watching this garbage that comes out of hollywood it's always wrong that is the most perverse wicked cesspool of life there is do you need any more proof what's that what did i say <laughs> I bet you I could find a thousand actors and find one that is pleasing to God. One that believes. I mean, I just don't think there's very many, if any. It's a mess. And it has destroyed the youth in my lifetime. But that's okay, because it's supposed to get bad before it gets worse, right? Nothing in his hand. A lion attacks Samson. This is a 500 pound beast at the minimum and he literally rips this predator apart. Imagine the elements of this. You're back in science class. I have a lion that attacks him. How close does it get? How fast does it move? Samson must be unaffected by it. Because it would, it would be all over him and destroy him if he were me. It isn't like he dodged it, grabbed it from behind. It attacks him. And I want you to think about the force. I tell my softball teams, force is equal to mass times acceleration. Very important to know that. Big guys hit the ball a lot further than little guys. Little guys have the same bat speed as the big guy. So you have to have bat speed if you're tiny. If you're not so tiny, say if you're big boned like me, you can get away with a bigger bat. But here's what we got going here. I have claws and teeth and I have tremendous force and it is coming fast. How much force? How many joules of energy do I have to deal with if I'm Samson here? Samson... Withstands the forces generated by a roaring young 500 pound animal moving at probably 30, 40 miles an hour, and he is able to create the necessary countering energy to shred the lion. Do the math. Somewhere within the secular public school system, there exists a prospective or aspiring eighth grade mechanical structural engineer who has a phone. He used to have slide rules. Now you have a phone. Even calculators are gone. All we have now is phones. And this kid, 8th grade, he's probably 13, he's done the math for his science fair project. And if he actually does it, he's going to get an F, isn't he? Because this is a biblical story. We can't treat it as if it is literally true. But somebody, I hope I've been, I'm inspiring someone 13 years old, to do the force calculations of what occurred here. Samson experienced this. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's going down. The woman pleases him. And a lion comes to stop him. Because he's going to marry that woman. He's going to put her in the bride. And the lion comes to stop him. And the lion hits him with a tremendous amount of physical force. And what should have happened? Did it even knock him to the ground? See, start... Imagining how this really happened. Not again what you've been learning from TV, but what really happened. Samson experienced it. And how much did he know about himself when this happened to him? This is the beginning of his ministry. And I'm submitting that this is a suspension of the physical laws of God. This is a suspension of the physical reality. And what happens when he tears this lion apart? How surprised is Samson at his ability? Subsequently, if not immediately, what does he do? It says what he does. After, after he tore the lion apart, then he went down and talked with the woman. And she pleased him well. What do you suppose now he talked about? I think... Because he loves his Gentile bride, he tells her. She is the first to hear of Samson's incredible, unparalleled power. They talk. And Samson testifies to her. And she believes it. She believes that this is the true God of creation who has moved within Samson. There is no other explanation that could be as logical as this. Past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior recognize that when you vote for people or invite them into your house. I stole from the last guy, but I won't steal from you. because I like you. I've had people, the first thing I'll digress, and if people come to Cliffside, I've learned how to run them off now. I always ask them this, what could the other pastor, the previous pastor, have done to keep you in his church? And then I go like this. And I know who's next. Coached enough in my lifetime to know that a team that fires the coach is going to fire the coach. So, my trumpet teacher and I have an interesting relationship He tells me I'm terrible every day that I go there, and it's always true. And we decided that I am the only student that he has that does not blame him for being bad. In other words, the other students say it's his fault that they're bad trumpet players. I do not. It's clearly my fault. He's fantastic. I'm the one who stinks on ice. And he told me that's really unusual. Where, Where did you get like this? How come you don't blame others? for your own failure. I have a mirror. I have evidences that it is not their fault. It's my fault. Anyway, past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior. Keep that in mind. Samson tells women whom he loves the mystery of his strength. He does it with his Philistine bride and he does it with Delilah, won't he? It's what he does. We can see him do it. Over here, we can anticipate that he did it over here. The Philistine bride believes him. Listen, I come home to to Lori and say, Hey, a car came at me about 40 miles an hour, weighed 3,000 pounds. As it's coming to me, I picked it up by the bumper and threw it up in the air. Probably Lori's not believing me. But this woman believed him. When you admit that you can withstand an animal of that size and rip it to pieces effortlessly, then you are saying that God has suspended physical reality for you. Now, why would he do that? (coughs) Remember, this woman, the Philistine, believes him. Delilah, not so much. That was an unsuccessful attempt for Solomon, but I'm saying to you that the pattern is the pattern. Anyway, is it your view, if you take a contrary position, that Samson, having learned that he had been given the ability to withstand the onslaught of a lion like this uh, and, and be unscathed, and I'm positive that he was un, unscathed. I think that's the most defensible position, and as he was... When he tore tore apart by hand he 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 was unscathed by this lion, but eventually he becomes unscathed when he tears apart by hands the Philistines who burned his wife to death. judges fifteen seven again, I have a wife that wasn't that was saved and a wife that wasn't or seemingly wasn't. So not only is Samson unmarked, no wounds. He can induce, effectuate the required force to amputate a lion that is alive, with his bare hand. I want you to think about how much that is. And he can also do this, the same thing to a sizable armed Philistine raiding party. All he gets from that is thirsty. Is it your view that he doesn't tell his wife that he loves, that pleases him, That he has got this God given capability. Of course he told her. Why would he tell her? Because she's not a believer. He wants her to be a what? A believer. Of course he told her. It's what he does. And she believed him. And what happens from this? This results in the bride's father putting a, uh, I'm sorry, plotting a course to stop it. As soon as the father realizes that his daughter is going to move from the pagan community to the Jewish community, she's going to be the wife of the Nazarite, he goes, no. I'm stopping this. The Philistine father will do all and anything that he can to terminate the daughter's commitment to the Savior of Israel. Ask the most obvious of the obvious questions now. Who in the New Testament is the complement to the father of the Gentile bride? Who will seek the death of the Gentiles? If a Gentile is about to escape the snare, who tries to kill them? If the women have caught them in their traps and nets, who... And one begins to escape. Who stops it? Who will make them twice the son of hell that they are? Who will seek the death of the Gentiles? Who will? Who is it that wills that no Gentile is saved? Who is this in the New Testament? Who corresponds to the Father? And I think it's clear that it is the brood of vipers. It is the Pharisees. Those with the law and the prophet who should have known, who should have wisdom, who should have empathy, who should have love for the Gentiles, hate the Gentiles and want them to die. Don't want to tell them anything about God. Want them all to perish. Those tasked with bringing the truth of the goodness of God, his desire to save all who will come, those with his great honor hate the Gentiles. And they will do all and anything that terminates their access to God. They fail, God is omnipotent, but the Pharisees nonetheless manifest their hatred for Christ and his love for mankind, and Christ calls them the brood of Satan and sons of hell. The Pharisees had this, ultimately, this odd behavior. They have this eccentric behavior that is only explained by dark madness, They continually persisted in springing these elaborate supposed traps on Christ, not knowing that he is, in fact, God himself. They could not recognize him. They didn't know. Nicodemus being the exception. Some saw, wait a minute, this is God. The Philistine woman said, wow, you are different. You can tear a lion apart. I'm leaving paganism and going with you. Now, that gets a little shaky in there, I know, with regard to what she thought the point of the riddle was. But eventually, she understands that he saved her. But the Pharisees, they're always continually persisting in springing these, these tricks that Christ, Jesus, being omniscient God, would easily disable. And he'd humiliate them in the process that happened to them over and over and over again. But they they don't stop. They're relentless. They're stunned. They're unable to explain how it is that Christ escapes them of every time. No matter how smart and how planned and how intricate and sophisticated their maneuvers are, Christ slips through them as easily as he can. He escapes. Can't trap him. Didn't trap Adam? Did they trap Samson? Not not very easily. Eventually, we'll get to that next week. What is the secret to his wisdom? That is what the Pharisees asked. What is the secret to his strength? That is what Samson's the Philistines asked about Samson. So the Philistines are mystified by Samson's escape and power, escapes and power. The Pharisees are mystified by Christ's. Never or seldom, rarely, did anyone conclude in the Pharisaical community that Jesus escaped them because he is creator God in the flesh. Or that Samson, with respect to the Philistines, was empowered by the God of Israel. They wanted to know, how does he do this? and never said, "Well, wait a minute, he's got to be God has to be doing this in him. If God is doing this in him, then what position are we in? We are against God. Change sides. How many did it? One woman. You see, if you admit that Christ is God or you admit that Samson is empowered by God and you're a Philistine or a Pharisee, then that is a step to repentance. That is a step to belief. Now you're escaping and you are pleasing to God. The Pharisees and the Philistines would choose doom before belief, and they did. Finally, yay, finally. Samson is never fooled by Delilah. Never fooled. He proves it three times. Yet he is nonetheless willing to reveal to her that which will lead to his death and his capture. What makes him do that? What made God Christ allow himself to be captured at Gethsemane by a bunch of human beings with new ropes? I mean, why would he? I mean, you've got to be kidding. This is infinite God and we're tying him up. How much rope is necessary to tie up infinite God? But he allows this. And remember, Samson, let me just read it really fast. It's very sad. Ah and it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed unto death. That's Samson. He is in tremendous turmoil. Why? He knows she hates him. She's going to seek to kill him. He still tells her the truth. Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't save her. She doesn't believe. One woman believed, one woman didn't. There we go. Christ is in Gethsemane. How's he doing? His soul is vexed unto death. For the same reasons, I submit. Let's rise.